All right, guys, thank you so much for being here tonight. I hope you've gotten uh, introduced a little bit around the table. Uh, Noah did a good job setting us up, making sure that you understand you have not come here to just listen to one of us lecture. Uh, what we're really hoping to do is create in, an environment around the table of community. And uh, as the weeks go on and you build trust and you begin to open up a little bit, that you, that you build friendships. Some people you're sitting beside you've had a friendship with a long time. Other people you may not know. And so I know this in my own life. There's not a lot of times I sit around with other men and we talk about really deep biblical things or we, or we really become transparent. Typically we talk about sports, we talk about our jobs, we talk about where we're going to go on vacation. And so all those things are fine, but hopefully here we're talking about a little bit more than that. So as we talk about no more excuses, I know you don't have any excuses in your own personal life, but you probably know somebody that has a lot of excuses. And if I was to give you a list of mine, you would get tired of listening to them. So here's what I want you to do around your table. Just take a few seconds apiece, but I want you to talk about an example of something from your past that influences the way you live in the present. That's a little bit of a deeper question than what you were just talking about. It could be anything. Uh, I, I can remember being a little boy riding in the back seat of our car and my mom and I being at an intersection and watching a head-on collision. And the lady in the car that, w that had the right-of-way, she ended up dying in the small town we lived in. And I can remember my mom, I was probably six or seven, as, as the news came out that the guy had been intoxicated and she had sat down and had this conversation with me about the effects of alcohol and what they can have and how th th that particular situation, alcohol, ended the life of this young lady. And I can remember, not even from a biblical context, just saying, I am never going to drink alcohol as a six or seven-year-old. And I can honestly say to you, I've never had a drop. And that changed me. It influenced the way that I view alcohol. And then I grew up and married my wife, whose older brother was killed by a drunk driver. And so it's, bo it's influenced both of our lives. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's you don't eat Little Debbie's because you ate a bunch when you were a kid and you threw up and you're never going to eat them again. I don't know what it is. But just talk around your table just for a moment of something that influenced you and is still having an impact on you today. Ready, set, go. All right, well, I hate to break it up. We've got uh, more table discussion in just a few moments. But I want to jump into a little bit of teaching and kind of set up the next couple table talks that we're going to have. Um, you know, most everyone has an excuse for something. Uh, it's whether or not they, why they don't like to do things around their house, whether or not why they didn't get something done at the job. Um, if you've ever watched a baseball game and, and you've seen, or in a basketball game, and you've seen a player that was supposed to do something, catch a fly ball or something, and he misses it, there's always an excuse, right? The sun was too bright, I tripped over the turf, I twisted my ankle, I pulled my hamstring in practice yesterday, I wasn't able to get there. There's always an excuse. It's rare that someone takes responsibility for it. As a matter of fact, this past Saturday, there was a, a bunch of football games, but there's one in particular that came down to a final play, and one of the teams lost. I know that's a shocker to you. After the game, they interviewed the coach of the losing team, and he said, you know, ultimately, I have to take responsibility for the loss, but, and I tell you what, they roasted that guy, because he threw it all back on the players, and he threw it back on one of the other coaches. And I could just say this, a head coach doesn't do that. A good head coach doesn't do that. We want men that will take responsibility. The reality is everybody has excuses, but you, you, know that, you know what the saying is. Excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got more than one of them, and they all stink, okay? 
No one wants to hear your excuses. Your wife doesn't want to hear them. Your boss doesn't want to hear them. To be honest with you, you don't want to even hear them from yourself, but yet we use them all the time. And so what we want to talk about, especially this first week, is getting rid of the excuse of, this happened in my past, and that's why I am who I am today. Or this happened in my past, and that's what's kept me from succeeding in life. And we're going to talk about a guy that if you were here last Wednesday night, R.T. Kendall, who I was on vacation and missed it, and I hate I did because he did such a fantastic job. I've almost finished listening to the sermon. But he walked through a, a, a story of a man that could have had all kinds of excuses. Tonight, we're going to look at Joseph. We're going to talk a little bit about, we're just going to kind of walk through what happened to him in his life and see why it was that he was able to succeed. And then answer the question, no matter what has happened in our own lives, can we succeed? And you know what the answer is. The answer is yes. You see, God does not want us to make excuses for the failures in our lives. He wants us to take responsibility. He wants us to take responsibility. And so I want to call you as men to take responsibility. Quit making excuses. And by the way, I've used them all, and I've heard them all. And the reality is, we've got to get away from those things and stand up and be the men of God that God is calling us to be. I love what King David said to Solomon when he was on his deathbed in 1 Kings chapter 2. And if you're around me much, you're going to hear me talk about this a lot because I love it. I think it was a really intimate time. David is literally on his deathbed. He looks Solomon in the eyes and he says, I'm getting ready to go away. I'm getting ready to die. And he says, but before I do, I need to tell you something. And he basically tells him three things. He says, stand up, be a man, obey God's commands. That's it. And he said, if you'll do those three things, you will succeed. I want to call us as the men of Bellevue to stand up and quit using excuses in areas of our lives and start taking responsibility instead of using excuses. You know, when we talk about that baseball player, let's use a baseball player for, for the illustration, and he, he misses the pop fly in left field, and it, and it looks routine, it looks like he should have got it. There wasn't much wind, the ball wasn't really tailing off, but after the game, he kind of limps off the field and he uses the excuse of he hurt himself on the, you know, the day before or maybe during the game. And he limps around for the next few days as to make sure everybody realizes that he was injured when he may not really have been. He's just using that as an excuse. See, the reality is a lot of men are just limping through life. A lot of you in this room may be just limping through life. Maybe there's something that happened to you in your past. Maybe something was said to you. Maybe something that was done to you. And this devil has used that to hold on to you for so many years, and you're continuing to use that excuse. Here's the reality. We can no longer hide behind the past. We can no longer let yesterday define us. What should define us as men of God is our relationship with the Lord. You know, when we meet somebody, typically, what is the first thing you ask them? What do you do for a living? Absolutely, we want to know. We want to know what do you do for a living? And 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 if it's something that's in the same ballpark as your occupation, you hit it off. Or if it's something that you're interested in, you hit it off, and you're able to talk a lot about it. If it's something totally different, maybe you don't become very close. Maybe you do. But the reality is, in our culture today, as men, that is typically what we allow to define us. What do you do for a living? It's not what you do for a living that should define you. It is what your relationship with Jesus Christ is. That's what should define you. So we don't live in the past, we need to let go of the past. 
Now Joseph, beginning in chapter 37 of Genesis, you know this story so well, but some of you may not. Joseph was one of a bunch of boys, and he happens to be the dad's favorite. Now if any of you are dads in here, let me just tell you, don't have favorite kids. I know it's difficult. I've got four. My youngest one is cute as can be. She has never done anything wrong, but she's not my favorite, okay? My wife tells me all the time, she says, you, you, you treat her differently. You can't, you can't treat her that way. You always treat her like she's perfect. I said, well, she is perfect. And she says, well, that's a problem. So when I look at Jacob, I kind of say, you know what? I resonate with that just a little bit. I but he had a favorite, and it was Joseph. He makes this coat of many colors so that everywhere Joseph goes, he's looked upon, and it reminds the brothers that he's the favorite. He's out there. He's talking to the brothers, and you remember what happens. The brothers cannot stand him. Joseph has the dream. He interprets the dream to basically say, one day you're going to bow down to me. Now, I don't know about you. If it, maybe you're an only child, but if any of you in here have siblings, and your sibling, when you were younger, told you that you were going to bow down to them, you probably wouldn't like them either. And so Joseph's brothers don't like him, so they get this plot. They're either going to kill him or, or they're going to get rid of him somehow. They throw him down in this pit. Some people come along and they sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. And it's amazing as he goes along this journey. By the way, we're all walking through a journey. He's walking through this journey. It's amazing how over and over and over, all throughout Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, all throughout the story of Joseph, you will hear the words, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. As a matter of fact, I believe it's in chapter 39, verse 21. We'll look at it in just a moment. I think that's the passage. Even when he was in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. When he, we look back at his life, it would be easy to say he's got a lot of excuses that are justifiable to not go on in his future. In Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. So he goes from a slave, he's still a slave, but he's really the highest slave in this house. And he's looked upon very highly. And then remember what happens. The master's wife decides that she wants to sleep with Joseph. And what does Joseph do? This would be what Tony talks about in the book, the easiest probably affair to ever have because you know she's not going to tell anybody about it. And you know he wouldn't have to tell anybody about it because she has all power in that house underneath her husband. No one would ever have to find out about it. But Joseph was a man of integrity. Joseph served the Lord and he ran away. She flipped it around, said that he tried to sleep with her. And so what does the master do? The master throws him in prison. Now, I, I got to stop and just think through this whole story. He's thrown in a pit by his brothers, thinks he's going to die. They sell him into slavery. He makes it into Egypt, climbs the corporate ladder, if you will, of being a slave, gets to the highest possible place he could be, makes no mistake, he doesn't sin, and yet he receives this horrible punishment. He's rotting there literally in prison, or should be. He could be hanging his head, having all kinds of excuses. And what does it say he does all throughout there while he's there? He serves people, and he becomes well thought of within prison. They saw him as a man of integrity. He begins interpreting dreams he's forgot about, and then they bring him back. Finally, it's told to Pharaoh that he can interpret dreams, and we see how he transitions along the way from something that could be horrible to God using for something amazing. And so I think about for a moment the journey that all of us are on, this journey of life, and I have to stop and ask the question, what has happened to me in my past? What has happened to you in your past 
that is holding you back, that maybe is like chains. Tony gives this illustration in his book. He talks about how elephants perform at circus, at a circus. And he says that, you know, elephants are mighty, massive, strong animals. There's no possible way that they should be able to just be tamed by one little guy in this tent with all these elephants that could easily take over everybody in there. But what happens is, he says when they're babies, the master will chain the foot of that elephant to the ground to a stake, to where that elephant cannot move anymore. And after a while, the elephant realizes it can only go as far as that chain, and as he grows up and realizes his brain is trained to understand that's all the freedom he has, eventually the trainer, the master, takes the chain off, the elephant never runs away. See, he's not chained down anymore, but he thinks he is. Sometimes things happen in our past and they hold us down. That chain can be gone. We can move past that, but we don't. I have a friend who grew up in a home that I thought was a great home. I spent the night over there many times. We were good friends, um, played a lot of sports together. We went to church together. His mom loved the Lord. She taught Sunday school. His dad traveled a lot business and uh, it was very successful and as we started to get a little older some things started coming out that he was very abusive that he would uh, uh, beat my friend and that he would uh, chain him in his room and, and just different horrible things and as as time went on and I heard about these things this guy ends up in prison one day his dad ends up in prison years later I had lost contact with my friend. We were in college, and I began a conversation with him on social media, and we ended up getting each other's phone numbers and talking. And I asked him how he was doing, and he said, you know, it's interesting. Everything that I went through as a child should hold me back. But God, in his mercy, allowed me to forgive my daddy. And he said, it's amazing. I love my father. I visit him in prison about once a month. I pray for him. I send him gifts. We have a great relationship. Can I just make a statement? That man sitting in that prison doesn't deserve that. That's the grace of God. Most people would not do that. They wouldn't do that. We men need God to deliver us from yesterday because too many of us are chained to yesterday. You know, it says in his book, he says, God wants to deliver men from the hostage-taking that the enemy has done in our lives so that we are able to blaze into our future, getting rid of the limp and the excuse and not being held hostage to the past. I wonder how many of us are holding on to something in the past. Genesis chapter 39 that I quoted earlier says, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. Think about this. He's in the worst spot he could possibly be in. And the Lord still has his hand upon Joseph. You know, if you fast forward, and we'll look at the verse in just a moment to the end, actually some of the really great verses of Scripture are found in Genesis chapter 50 when he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, so many people look back at their past and say, I can't believe this happened to me, and I can't forgive that person, and I can't move past that. And we hear our pastors say this all the time, when you when you build a, a, a cage of bitterness and unforgiveness, it's not for the person that you're unwilling to, un, to not forgive. You build that cage for yourself, and you put yourself in that cage. 
And what happened with Joseph is, instead of building that, the Lord granted him favor. And I love what happens. It says, God can take your yesterday and turn it into an awesome tomorrow. Genesis chapter 42, verse 24 says, he turned away from them and wept. So here's what happens. You know the story. His brothers come to Egypt because they're hungry. The dad has sent them to Egypt. They believe Joseph to be dead, most likely. They get to Egypt. They don't recognize him. He's all dressed up. He's grown up. He probably had different clothes on, maybe makeup. Who knows what all he had on, a headdress and all that stuff. They don't recognize him. They've come and asked for food. Joseph sees them coming. This is his moment. This is his time for retribution. This is his time for vindication. This is his time to stand up and say, I told you so. What does it say here? Joseph, he turned away from them and wept. You see, there was no way when Joseph saw those brothers that he could completely forget the past. He remembered what happened to him. He remembered what they put him through. But he understood the grace of God, and he wasn't chained to that past. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight that's chained to the past. Joseph's picture of forgiveness is unbelievable. Last week, we had R.T. Kendall here. He wrote this book, Total Forgiveness, which is basically what he preached his message on. I got this book from Brother Steve about three or four months ago. I read it overnight because I started an introduction, and it grabbed hold of me. And I couldn't put it down until I got to the end. This thing is slapped full of things that every single one of us need. As a matter of fact, Noah and I talked this morning about possibly doing this next semester in this room. And as I read this, I began to understand that forgiveness is not always exactly what we think it's going to be. You see, Joseph still remembered. See, we sometimes think, well, if I forgive them, I have to just completely forget. You know, we, we can't necessarily forget. You know what? Somebody hurt me so bad. If I forgive them, I've got to go on vacation with them and be best friends with them. That's not necessarily the case. What you do is you forgive and you release them from your unforgiveness, and then you pray God's blessings upon them. That's what got me in this book. You see, a lot of times when someone hurts me, I pray for them. Oh, I pray for them. Now, I know you wouldn't do this. But I pray that either conviction will overcome them or the Lord will deal with them in whatever way he sees fit. And I pray he does it quickly and I pray he does it well. That's not forgiveness. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? He says, pray for those who persecute you. And R.T. Kendall says in here to pray a blessing over those people. And I love this. It says he turned away from them. When he turned back and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and had him bound before their eyes. You know they had to have been freaking out. They didn't know what was going on. And as this story continues to unfold, we see the forgiveness of Joseph that's amazing. You see, forgiving does not mean you don't remember it happened. It means you're no longer seeking revenge because it happened. You've released it. You've let it go. I probably, if I had to guess, talking to somebody tonight, it's dealing with something in their life that's been there since they were possibly a child. It's been there since they were a teenager. It's been there since you were a young man. Maybe it was an abusive father. Maybe you were neglected by your mother. Maybe you had a domineering grandparent. Maybe you had a coach or a, a teacher that spoke to you inappropriately. Maybe it was a boss that was overbearing to a point of you almost breaking. Maybe it was a really close friend that betrayed you. And all these years, 
you've not been able to let go of it. This is what I learned from this book and what this book on no excuses has pointed me to about forgiveness. If you are unwilling to forgive, you are walking in disobedience. You cannot walk in obedience and have unforgiveness in your heart. That's an oxymoron. Those two things cannot live together. Because Jesus said, if you're unwilling to forgive, I won't forgive you either. What does Joseph do? He forgives. See, God can take the mess of yesterday and turn it into the miracle of tomorrow. He can take the pain of the past and turn it into the productivity of the future. And he can take the limp and give you life. Genesis 45 verse 4 says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. Now at this point, do you not think that they are literally beside themselves? They know exactly what's getting ready to come to them. And they know they deserve it. And yet Joseph extends kindness and love to them. It's also interesting, and I I know that I've heard this before, but as I was reading uh, Genesis 41, 51, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all my hardship and my whole family. He named his son. God has made me to forget my hardship. You see, what we do with our excuses is we hold them close. They make us comfortable. We may not like them, but they give us the ability To move forward the way that we want to move forward. Not necessarily the way God has designed us to go forward. You go back to that elephant chained to that stake on the ground. And he eventually gets that chain taken off around his foot. He has the ability to run and do whatever he wants because of his size and his power. But he's not living up to his potential. He can't live up to his potential. Because he's trapped in the chains of the past. And sometimes we're so trapped in the, way, in the things of the past, we can't go on the way God's designed us to. This is the last verse I want you to look at, Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. See, what Joseph was able to do, he was able to look at all his hurt, all his pain, all his betrayal, all of these things that we would use as excuses to justify the way we're living our lives. And he looked at it through a biblical lens and through the eyes of Christ and said, I know what you were trying to do, but look what God did. So I want to ask you a question. I want you to discuss this around your table. Based off this verse, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. What are some hindrances to living in this truth of Genesis 50, 20 before we've seen God turn our situation around? In other words, if Joseph would have been in prison and been able to look ahead and know what God was going to do, it would have been very easy for him to do all of these things and be a man of integrity and be able to forgive his brothers. He didn't know that was coming. So being that you and I don't know what the future holds, we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know if we forgive and let go of the past what he's going to do with that. What are some hindrances that allow us to live this out in our own lives? I want you to talk about it just for a couple minutes around your table, and then I've got another question for you.
Go ahead. Let me change the question just a little bit, but I want you to stay in the same kind of thought about this Genesis 50-20. Let's change the question just a little bit. What are some benefits of embracing the truth of Genesis 50-20 in full faith? In full faith. Talk about it for just a couple minutes. Guys, it's interesting that... It's interesting if you know the story of Stephen in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Stephen was the first martyr. He was uh, a follower of Christ, and they stoned him in Acts chapter 7. Before they stoned him, he preached a message. And it walks through, he walks through the history of Israel. He talks about the patriarchs. He talks about his, the descendants of Abraham and all them. And he talks about all these different things God has done. And he gets to verse 9 in Acts chapter 7. It says, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. But listen to what he says. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now famine and great suffering came over all Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there for the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there. Notice what he says. Stephen is preaching a message. He has very short time right before he's getting ready to get stoned, and J Joseph makes the cut. Joseph gets in this message, and what does, what does Stephen say about Jacob or Joseph? He says, but God was with him. We see it all through Genesis 37 through 50. We see Stephen referencing it again right here. The reality is for a lot of people, not just men, they're so tied to the past, and it's because we fail oftentimes to remember that the Lord has said, I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now what both these men had, both in Joseph, looking towards the coming Christ and loving the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what Stephen had looking backwards towards Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, is they had a love for Christ. See, Stephen was a Christian. You see, as Christians, we are to deal with our past differently than most other people do. Because we have a hope. You know, it's been a sad week. I've read a lot of articles about this young lady that was abducted and killed right here in our own city. And I've prayed a lot for that family. And I read an article late last night about her love for the Lord. And how one of her family members, and they didn't say who, said, we are thankful that because of her love for Jesus, we will see her again. Now, I just want to stop for just a moment and say, the reason a lot of people can't deal with their past is because they don't deal with their relationship with Christ. And so you may be sitting here today and say, I've got so much bondage, I've got so much baggage, I've got so much stuff from my past that I cannot get over, and you are correct. You cannot get over it. But through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, you can. 
And so you may be sitting here and you have a head knowledge of who Jesus is and what a relationship with Jesus looks like, but you've never made that a reality in your life. You hear our pastor say it every Sunday. You have to repent of your sins, believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can't move forward until you get that piece right. You can't focus on any other relationship here on earth until you get that relationship right. And by the way, when we talk about forgiving and moving on past stuff, our teachers about it in this book, oftentimes it's because we've got a bitterness towards him of what he allowed us to go through. I, we just talked about this in, in our life group, but Job chapter 1 just messes me up every time I read it, okay? I, a couple of the guys, y'all, y'all know, I just told y'all. I mean, it just messes me up. The devil's up there in heaven. I don't understand that. Don't get me started, okay? He's talking to the Lord. The Lord says to the devil, hey, have you looked at Job? See, our assumption is the devil asked God if he could go mess with Job. It was actually God that said to the devil, have you checked Job out lately? You see, God will allow us to go through things so that he can do something in our life that can't be explained by anything else other than the hand of Christ. And so maybe you've gone through something and you're not able to get over it because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today, tonight, you've got stuff in your past, you say, I am a Christian, but the things that I went through you don't understand, or the thing that happened to me you don't understand. You're right, I don't understand. I don't know what it was. I can't put myself in Joseph's shoes. My my siblings didn't sell me. I wasn't enslaved. I didn't have to work my way through prison. I, I don't know what that was like, but I do know what freedom in Christ is like. And you can't experience it. You say, no, I can't. Yes, you can because of what he's done for you on the cross. And so I want to pose another question to you to talk about at the table here for just a second. Because a lot of times as men, we see things as challenges, setbacks, things that have come into our life, they're challenging, and we think, you know what, I can get over this, I can get through it, I can do it, and it's I, 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 me, me, me. And what happens is, we've become so dependent on ourselves that we've edged God out of the situation. And what God is saying, you're in this situation, so you will turn to me. And so I want you to talk about this question just for a moment at your table. What does it look like to own a personal setback or challenge in the present instead of making an excuse for it? What I mean by that is what are some steps you would take to own it? It's a setback. It's a challenge. Instead of making an excuse, because here's what the devil's going to do. We've heard our pastor say this before. He tempts us, and then we sin, and then he blames it on us and calls us a pervert. That's what he does. He's so tricky. He's so crafty. And so he gets us involved in these things. We fall to the temptation, and then he blames it all on us. And then we're stuck in this rut, and we make all of these excuses. Or maybe something's just happened to you. Maybe you've walked through a challenge or a setback. What are some steps you can put in place to help you not make an excuse and to take ownership and responsibility and stand up and be a man of authority over that challenge? You see, because that's exactly what God's called us to do. He's called us to stand up. He's called us to stand up against the wiles of the devil. He tells us through through the full armor of God, we can do that. 
You and I have the ability to do exactly what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 when he was tempted by the devil and he quoted scripture to the, to the devil. And what happens at the end? The devil flees and God sends angels to minister to Jesus. I don't know about you. I don't know if I've ever seen an angel, but bring them on. They can come minister to me anytime they want to. And the only time I see that is when Jesus used scripture to stand up against the devil. So, I want you to talk just for a few minutes around your table. What does it look like to own a personal setback or challenge? Take just a couple minutes to talk about it right at your table. All right, guys, let me give you one final question to discuss at your table, and then I've got a thought for you before we leave. And here's the question I want you to discuss. Name a common mindset or mindsets that hold men back from fully living out their strength and biblical authority. And I'll give you one to start off. I don't know how many times I've heard a guy say to me, I just can't lead my wife spiritually. She's so much more spiritually mature than I am. She's been saved longer than I have. She studies God's word more than I do. So I can't lead her. Yes, you can. And the reason you can is because that's the way God's designed the marriage. You don't have to know more than her. You don't have to have been saved longer than her to pray with your wife. I know men that will stand up in a life group and pray, but they won't pray with their wife. I know men that I can sit across the table from and have a spiritual conversation, but they won't have one with their wife. That's a lie from the devil. The devil's a liar. If you didn't know that, write that down. The Bible says he's the father of all lies. That's who he is. That is who he is at the core. And he's having us believe all kinds of lies. And so I just want you just for a moment, just, just take a minute or two, and then I've got a thought for you before we leave. Name a common mindset that hold men back from fully living out their strength and biblical authority. Take two minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right, guys. <clears throat> Let me try to wrap up tonight. And I'm really thankful that you're having good discussion around the table. I hope it's good discussion around the table. I hope that you'll join us for the next few weeks as we continue to walk through this together. Uh, I'm really thankful for the opportunity, and uh, I believe Noah's going to teach next week, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited to hear from him, uh, and I'm excited for us to continue this around the tables. You know, it's interesting. When we look at Joseph's journey, um, that's not an isolated situation. A lot of times we look at the Bible and we say, oh, well, that happened to them. Well, we, we're all in a journey, and we all have experiences as well, and if we lined every single one of us up in the room and told, us, told you to tell us the worst thing that's ever happened to you, I'm sure we would hear all kinds of things. But what stayed true all throughout Joseph's life is it says, the Lord was with him. I want to remind you tonight, the Lord is with you. There's three books I want to recommend to you. I'm not telling you you've got to read these. These are books that have been very influential. One of them is the book we're going through, No More Excuses. The second one is this book that I talked about, Total Forgiveness. I want to read to you a quote right here from R.T. Kendall. And, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, a refusal to forgive means that God stands back and lets you cope with your problems in your own strength. Do you know why some of us are having so much difficulty moving forward? Because we're unwilling to forgive something that's happened in the past 
And Jesus has said, okay, big boy, deal with it on your own. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a whole series one time. Sometime in my life, I'm going to teach a whole series on all the he wills in the Bible. Confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised his son from the dead, and you will be saved. I love that. Not maybe, might, can, probably, hopefully, or sh- it says you will be saved. And they're all throughout Scripture. And that one says, don't trust in yourself, you trust in the Lord, and he will direct your paths. I love what the book of James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. But that's a scary thought, guys. In just a moment, we're going to do just a quick one-minute exercise where we just think for just a moment, we get quiet for just a moment, which is very rare for us in our culture today to sit in silence and solitude and just give the Holy Spirit just a couple moments to talk to us. And I want you to ask him, is there somebody in my past that I have been willing to unforgive, to not forgive, that I have not been willing to forgive? The second book that I want to point you to, I guess the third book, is Jim Logan's book, Reclaiming Surrendered Ground. I've read this book a dozen times. And every time, it just gets better and better. See, some of us in this room, there's something that's happened to us in our past that we've been willing to not forgive. We said, I'm just not going to forgive. You know what? They're out of my life, out of sight, out of mind. Some of us have given ground over to the devil in our lives, and he's having a heyday. Jim Logan says right here on uh, page 16, If it is possible for a believer to give ground over to the enemy, then it is possible, in fact, and it is crucial for that believer in the power of the Holy Spirit to take back the ground he has yielded to the enemy. This is what Jim says all throughout the book. There is ground we have given over to the devil, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can take it back. You see... The Bible tells us in the book of James that even the devil and the demons tremble at the name of Jesus. He was with Joseph in the pit. He was with Joseph in Potiphar's house. He was with Joseph in the prison. He was with Joseph when he served under Pharaoh. He was with Joseph when his brothers came before him. He was with Joseph to the end. And he's with you. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. There's another promise he gives us in his word. And so I want you just for a moment, if you want to close your eyes, that's fine. I did this early this morning. I just said, Lord, if there is somebody in my life, and I'm talking about all the way back to when I was two years old, if there's somebody that did something to me or said something to me that I have not gone and forgiven, I want you to show that to me. I want you to reveal that to me. Please, that right now. I want you to identify that person, and then I want you to pray that God will give you the strength to to do whatever you need to do. See, some of you need to get in the car and go make a visit to somebody. Some of you need to make a phone call. Some of you need to write a letter. Some of you may have not forgiven somebody, but they have no idea about it, and you just need to release it and give it over to the Lord. But we don't do this very often where we get alone with the Lord. I just want you to take one minute and say, Lord, show me, and then I'm going to pray for us and we'll be, close. we'll be done. One minute. 
Lord, we as men don't like silence. It makes us nervous. And there's very rare moments in our life that are silent. They're either with family or they're at the job or the TV's on or doing one of our hobbies or working or something. But Lord, right now I just pray, Lord, for each one of these men, including myself, Lord, if there's somebody that we've been unwilling to forgive, Lord, that you would show that person to us. Maybe it's a father. Maybe it's a mother. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's an old teacher or coach or professor. Maybe it's an old employer or boss. And we've harbored bitterness. And we've been willing to to, to not forgive. Lord, I pray you'll bring that to light. I pray you will embolden these men. I pray you'll give them the strength to stand up and be the men of God that you've called them to be. God, if there's a man in this room that has given over ground in his life in any area, Lord, from any type of sexual addiction to greed or covetousness or selfishness or anything like that, and I believe probably all of us would attest to at least one of those. Lord, I pray you'll bring that to light, and through your power, you will enable us to take that ground back over. God, I pray you will be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner over these men. I pray you'll go before them and fight their battles for them. I pray you'll lead them like you did Joshua. Lord, I thank you for your promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And just like you were with Joseph, you are with us. Lord, I pray these men will draw so close to you that they won't turn to the left or to the right unless they hear your voice say, this is the way, walk in it. Bless these men tonight. We love you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.